0: As organizations begin their cloud adoption journey, they quickly discover that there can be several barriers that hinder their progress towards digital transformation. These may include factors such as legacy operating models, outdated processes, and organizational resistance to change. Our guest for today focuses on the human side of digital transformation rather than technology. He talks about the organizational mindset that is needed to ensure a smooth transition to the cloud. Joining us today from Australia is StoreCloud's CEO and founder and Cocktails co-host, David Brown. Hi, David. Hi, Kevin. Our guest for today is the author of Architecting the Cloud, Design Decisions for Cloud Computing Service Models, and the upcoming book, Accelerating Cloud Adoption, Optimizing the Enterprise for Speed and Agility, which we'll be talking about today. A pioneer in cloud computing, our guest has also been ranked as one of the top 100 cloud experts and influencers in the world. He's currently the chief cloud architect in Deloitte Consulting, LLP's cloud practice, responsible for helping clients implement crowd strategy and architecture to drive digital transformation. Beyond his technology experience, he brings an insightful understanding of how to address the organizational change, process improvement, and talent management challenges associated with digital transformation. Joining us for a round of cocktails is Mike Cavis. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. So in your book, you said that to succeed with cloud adoption, you need to consider people, process, and technology. So we often focus on the technology side of the equation when considering cloud-related projects, right? So can you elaborate on the considerations associated with people and processes?
1: Yeah. And that's that's why I wrote the book, because my first book was about the technology. Because when I started on cloud, it was 2007, 2008, and there were no books. And I learned a lot of stuff the hard way, so I said the next person shouldn't have to make all the mistakes I had, so here's what I learned. And then as I stole that business, gone consulting, I started seeing the struggles of all these companies. They would have all the smartest people in the world, but they just couldn't get enough stuff into the cloud. And they could never turn off the old stuff. And the patterns I kept seeing were, Legacy processes, legacy org structures, legacy tools that were preventing them from moving to the cloud um, as fast as they would, uh, as fast as they wanted. So an an example often is, you know, a lot of companies focus on CICD. So, you know, we have clients that have a great automated pipeline, but there's three months of process before they can hit the button to create it to go to stage. And then there's another three months of process um to to put it in production because we still have these silos that have to do all these approvals, even though we automated all of it in the CICD pipeline. So that's that's one example. But that and then when it comes to run, to run the system, we try to run it the way we always have with this separate group over here that knows nothing about our cloud implementation. And then all of a sudden our reliability goes down when there's an incident because we're we're trying to do things with tools that don't work in the cloud and with processes that were built for you know, biannual releases on a mainframe, not daily releases in the cloud. So, you know, too often the focus is purely on technology, but we need to change the org, supporting org structures, the operating model, and supporting business processes at the same speed that we're changing to technology.
2: Yeah, you mentioned the uh, CICD pipelines, and I think uh, that's where a lot of people started with, you know, becoming an agile organization is to, you know, focus on the build process, right? Uh, But it it goes way beyond that, uh, right? And a lot of people have solved that problem. They have some sort of automated build process. But, uh, you know, when we're talking about cloud adoption and digital transformation, we're we're talking about a lot more than that, right?
1: A, A whole lot more. And a lot of it is just pure mindset. So, you know, traditionally, we were organized in technology silos, right? So when I wanted to get work done, I needed to go talk to the database team, the server team, the storage team, the network team and as we move to the cloud a lot of that stuff's abstracted in its code so we put these pipelines in place right the problem is we still need to get approval from the server team the storage team the network team and and there's also this this fear that this cloud is this big and un, insecure place and reality is with the right rigor it can a, it actually be more secure than what you have on prem the, the problem is there's a lot of old thinking uh Another example I use is a lot of people think of the cloud as someone else's data center. Anytime you hear someone say cloud's just someone else's data center, they're on a path to failure because that means they're going to treat the cloud like a data center, right? I got a VM here, I'm going to have a VM there. And the cloud is much more than that. The value in the cloud is when you start moving up the stack and you use databases as a service, right? Now all of a sudden you have a fully managed database that auto scales across zones and regions. I can, instead of implementing my own Kafka queue, I could use a queue as a service, right? So I don't have to worry about scaling and managing these third-party solutions. So the the value is going up that food chain per se. And in the cloud vendors now are even creating healthcare APIs and financially, they're even moving up the stack to business services as a service. And when you're allowed to, to go up the stack like that, the the speed at which you could deliver software is incredible. And, what you focus on is your specific requirements instead of all the plumbing and the commoditized business
2: process. That's the and, and as I understand get. it, your your basic premise is that um, whilst cloud technologies offer this agility and speed, of, you know these services that you can leverage, many organisations are bringing to that new paradigm their old uh, processes of bureaucracy within a large large organisation.
1: absolutely and um it's it's kind of worse than that so no matter how good or bad your processes are in your data center they're known right so when there's an issue no matter how good or bad a company is at resolving it there's tribal knowledge and they figure it out then you move to this blank canvas in the cloud and what people do is they focus on building the software but then something breaks and first of all all those old processes don't apply because there's no physical infrastructure anymore. So what, what, what I see often is reliability actually goes down because they never rethought how you respond to incidences in a world where half the stuff is abstracted from you. So you run, I see it so often. And then you, you see these companies, you know, going back to the data center. It's not because the cloud isn't any good. It's because their approach to the cloud you know, created a lot of failure.
2: All right, so I, I guess the obvious question then is, is how, how should they be approaching the uh, you know, cloud adoption? So how, how can they overcome this? You know, when you're talking about uh, a large organisation, it's easier said than done to break down processes which have been put in place for a reason over time. Yeah. And it's how, you know, a large organisation can become a sausage machine uh, because they have those processes in place. Uh, How do you break down those processes, become a more agile organization when looking at adopting cloud technologies?
1: Yeah, it's easy to write stuff down on paper, but it's hard to actually do it. So there's a lot of methodologies and processes you can use to like value stream mapping. You can go analyze processes and figure out where the waste is and remove it. But if you can 't get everybody in the room to talk about it because they 're holding onto their turf, or even if you say well there 's sixty percent waste in this process, why don 't you move this team to that team and create create this you know cloud operations team but there 's politics involved so it's easy to recommend methodologies to identify waste and redesign it, but it 's hard to break down the political barriers and break uh, and change the kind of the mindset of the why so I talk. I I, in the book, I give a lot of examples of both companies that applied something that didn't work and companies that applied stuff that did work. I don't really have the answer and the magic bullet in there, but what I do is create awareness. You know, these things, in my experience, work better than these approaches. And and a big part of it is the operating model, right? You you really need. I mean. Adrian Cockroft, I don't know if you know Adrian from Netflix fame, always said DevOps is an org change. He, he said that years ago. And, and cloud is, a, is an even a bigger org change, right? And, and why do we say that? Because we're building software entirely different than we had before. It doesn't make sense to put teams of domain expertise anymore, you know, server team, storage team, network team, because all this stuff's an API away now. So now what we need is we need the brains from the storage people, the network people, to sit in a room with us and help architect virtual private clouds and figure out what's the right storage unit to use. But we don't need them turning screwdrivers and patching devices anymore. So we still need those people probably more than ever before, but we need their engineering minds, not their administrative minds. And when they're in silos, and I'm trying to deliver daily, I can't be sending tickets and having meetings and cab reviews because you can't do that in a day, right, when software is being deployed in a day. So you really have to change things. It has to be more collaborative, more engaged. Off, And I really recommend teams are focused more product oriented as opposed to you can still have your center of excellence, but you pull from there and you have security engineers on your product. Right. So that way you don't need 58 meetings to get you. You have someone with that expertise and they can go back to the security well when they need to to get answers. But you have a full stack team there with shared goals and those shared goals are the goals of the product. Right. So that that's the formula that works. It's real easy to say that it's incredibly hard to to change the heart and souls of the corporations to to get them to move that way.
2: We talked about this recently in terms of the, the differences between uh, monolithic application design and microservices and how with monolithic application design, you tend to have your front-end developers, your your service layer, your, your database layer, right. your security engineers and the like. And like you said, they're all different disciplines. <laughs> and in a monolithic design of an application, that, can work because you're talking about long periods of time where the communication can be facilitated between those engineering teams. But in a microservices world, what tends to work better is bringing those teams into a single team around a domain of knowledge or a product knowledge, as you were just saying. So, you know, if you're building the service for a shopping cart, then you have the shopping cart team. And so everyone is working collaboratively. Collaborative on that domain of knowledge, and uh, and so then the, the the issue becomes how does that team collaborate with other teams? Because whilst they can have agility inside that team, they still need to collaborate with other stakeholders. Other stakeholders are dependent on the services they create, right? <clears throat> and so, how do you how do you see that sort of uh, communication? Well, I
1: mean, if you look at what Amazon does, right? Amazon. Provides all these services. You know, each one of those teams is a product team with their own culture. So, what the only requirement Bezos puts on them is that the interface is the same, the API interface. But they can go solve that problem any way they want, and they have a a culture of collaboration to do that. It, within companies, it's a it's a lot harder because they're not used to to operating that way, but. If you take that approach and get a standard API interface, you may not be able to have the level of collaboration that some of the unicorn companies do, but you can be kind of self-sufficient in the service you deliver, right? If it's loosely coupled, you can deliver that service. It may not satisfy the customer at the end of the day because they need these other things, but at least you can deliver what's expected of of your group. But they're, they're really, again, this goes back to, operating models. If everyone's in silos, it's, it's harder to get them to communicate. If, if I'm building a product, I, you know, I want to either co-locate or now everyone's virtual, but I want to set up ways that people can meet either virtually or in real time and and their day is focused marching towards the same product goals. It's, it's really, you know, it's a culture, it's a culture thing, but I want to add one thing to the monolith story you were painting. There's a, and I've been uh, both a victim and a criminal of this is a lot of times in the monolith because we 're in those silos, you know the database team is supporting many, many teams, so a lot of times they can 't service my needs so sometimes I solve a problem that should have been solved in the database in the UI layer or the middle tier so I, I work around the bottlenecks, so you know monoliths are hard as they are, but it becomes like this I call this trailer park architecture right? you just start you don't do the right things all the time you do the things that help you get it out the door so you you code around bottlenecks you just get the spaghetti architecture that you know every release is just more technical depth now on the microservices side you could go down a rat hole there pretty quick too right you know microservices are great but how do you manage you know 100 microservices especially if you know three teams are writing at the wrong level of granularity and you know it, it can become a mess i've seen spider graphs of microservices where there's like like someone fell asleep drawing the crayon i'm like how do you manage all that so you know microservices can create challenges too and they require new tools and new processes and new ways to monitor and you start getting into things like ai ops right humans can't process you know 250 microservices run at the same time so we need to look at new ways of operations so there's no easy ticket
2: I guess there's also uh, some efficiencies in the monolithic uh, approach in that when you do have that database team, which is in demand by lots of different project teams, and so their resources are being allocated you know, by their IT manager according to priority or uh, you know, who has the loudest voice, um, that uh, at least those resources are being uh, efficiently used, you know that they 're being run at maximum capacity all the time uh, in a, in what we 're talking about by breaking them down into independent teams working on a single product or domain of knowledge um, I guess we're talking about you know, it sounds like a lot more people you, know, you you now have database engineers across every product and so is there a danger that we're just increasing cost and expense and and uh, what used to be an efficient model where it was driven by almost a capitalistic approach to, you know, uh, what, what project had the highest you know, return on investment as opposed to, uh, you know, replicating our teams across multiple product domains.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's a difference between being very busy and being efficient. So yeah, the database teams were very busy, but normally not efficient. Right. And, um, you don't need more and more people to do microservices. You're delivering smaller batches. So you're actually delivering more frequently. And hopefully if you have a architectural vision, you're inheriting the work you did in the previous releases, right? So you're not creating from scratch all the time. So if you have good architecture, you know, with every release, you can start consuming all your other services. Uh, Just going back to that monolithic model again, um, you know, you Every, with every release, your architecture usually gets worse, right? Because you're, you know, like I said, people are skating around the bottlenecks. Um, and the other, the other important point, you know, when I was working for a large company, regardless of what my business problem was, Oracle was the answer for OLTP, and Netezza was the answer for for um, transactional data, right? Well, what if I had a requirement for document store database? Well, I had a stick in one of those two. What if I had a graph data? You know, I didn't have those options because you would have to go through a procurement process, which was usually longer than my project, and do a RFP, an RFP and evaluation. Then we'd have to hire DBAs that could do that. And we'd have to, you know, it's a year, right? Now it's an API call, and I don't need a DBA to for a Mongo database because it's an API call. So now I can build architectures that choose the right tools for the job instead of having to shove everything into Oracle like I always used to have. So yeah, those Oracle people were busy, but it wasn't the most productive work because we were making bad technology
2: choices. And, and I guess the, that leads to agility that uh, organiza- organizational units can now adopt uh, software or cloud platforms uh, on their own independently. And as a result, the IT department, that centralized IT department, which used to manage the procurement process and deployment process, has lost control. Yeah, this shadow IT concept.
1: Yeah, so there's good and bad to that. And a lot of the book talks about those types of operating models. Talks about federated versus centralized versus decentralized. And I go in and say, what's the pros and cons of it? Well, the the pros of the decentralized model where my business unit you know, controls things is I can move as fast as I want. Uh, nothing's prescriptive. I can choose the technology I want. The cons is if I'm not really good at security, I can really damage the company's reputation, right? So often what I see, a lot of companies, oh, it depends. If the company is one that has bought in a lot of startups or a lot of web properties, usually there's so much cloud skills in those groups because they're born in the cloud that, you know, the, it's a decentralized model, and what they try to do is build a federated model that says, okay, what, what kind of services do we need to centralize? And usually that focuses around, okay, we need to get control of the operating system at least, right, and create the most patched operating system and let them pull from that. There, there are some services, but usually when it's top-down, it's entirely centralized, right? We control everything to the point where you can't get anything done because it's just another data center in the sky, right? So they follow the same processes it's okay to start there because you don't want to start everyone doing their own thing. But at some point as your practice matures, you should start allowing business units to take on some responsibilities, right. To move faster. So I think the ultimate, again, it depends on each company, but the, the promised land is kind of a federated model where there's some level of some things we need to control centrally. And there's some things you have autonomy out in the business unit. So like in the, Financial institutions, there's going to be a lot more that's controlled internally for like a media company. Maybe the only thing they want to control is maybe, you know, here's the tool selections you could use for CICD. Or you can use one of these three, um, but not 12. Right. And here is we're going to give you the blueprints for, you know, Red Hat OS and Apache Tomcat. We're going to make sure that's patched and that's it. But it really varies on what you're trying to do. And then the other part of that, what I talk about in the book is there's a different engagement models for for that central team is that I may have a real web savvy team that doesn't need my help, so I they just need self service capabilities. But I have this newbie group over here that doesn't know anything and they need like a white glove service. And I think that's where a lot of companies go wrong is they treat everyone the same. And it's usually to the lowest denominator of, of skills. So the teams with skills are just they can't get their work done so they just you know
2: Shadow IT is born and and flourishes. <laughs> No. Interesting. Let's let's talk about uh where we're at in the future. So, you know, we've talked about DevOps and CloudOps and you've even mentioned AIOps. So, uh, it seems like everything con- everything ops. Yeah. <laughs> so, it seems like it's constantly evolving. Uh yes. and 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 you know, people could be adopting DevOps and thinking they're on the bleeding edge. But uh where do you think we realistically are and where where are we going?
1: Yeah, so I that's, that's a good question. Um, first of all, I like, I like to define what, what I think DevOps is because a lot of people think DevOps is CICD, you know, the tools, and that's a piece of it. But in my mind, and if you talk to some of the, you know, the godfathers of DevOps, like the Gene Kims and, and those guys, it, it's really about outcomes, right? It's really about how can we as an organization deliver software better, faster, more reliable, and work more product-focused, those types of characteristics. Now, part of working better and faster is automated CICD pipelines. But before you build an automated CICD pipelines, you may want to reevaluate the business processes. Otherwise, you're just automating waste, so you're failing faster, but you're still failing. So with that out of the way, um, the, what I see is there's there's a big challenge. There's so much change coming at us at the same time, right? That's why you have all these X ops, right? So it was DevOps. Then we said DevSecOps and AI ops. Yesterday I was in a podcast and it was ML ops. It's all ops, right? In my mind, it's just the technology is different, so the approaches to it are different. But at the end of the day, you know, people bash ITIL frameworks, but those things still apply. You may not need to have the meetings that we're used to with ITIL, but you still need service request management you still need capacity management incident management problem you still need those things just you can solve a lot of those things through automation and then the other thing that is happening is you know the cloud is a distributed environment i was fortunate enough to grow up with in distributed environments you know i was always in retail where we had stores everywhere or and you know everything was distributed so my learning curve was a lot less but that's a different beast than the three-tier architecture, we, we have a lot more to worry about, and it's a lot harder to maintain. So what you're seeing is this boom in, in operations right now of new ways of thinking about ops, and you start hearing terms like observability and chaos engineering, testing in and production, and, and these things are – people wouldn't dream of purposely breaking things in production in, in the old world. But if I have, you know, 500 microservices running and hundreds of servers and sometimes they're there and sometimes they're not, how how do humans manage that through looking at dashboards? I mean, we, we need to be proactively finding flaws in our system and fixing them before our users encounter these issues. Like I mentioned earlier, a lot of people move to the cloud and suffer worse reliability to the systems they move. Because it's it's kind of a different game you're in, and and that is not good for the user, so I, I think there's a tremendous amount of good thinking happening in the world of operations, and the companies that start embracing that, even if it's slowly, and start not thinking about how they operate things today, I think will have a lot more success in the cloud and, and AI and ml is a, is a piece of that, right? You know AI, AI is good at automating things that humans do right? And when you're trying to monitor thousands and thousands of applications or containers or whatever, humans can't do that. So you, you let AI do it. ML is more better suited for discovering the unknowns, unknown unknowns. And, you know, anticipate, you know, finding things that make you fail later that you don't know about. And you can fix that in your code today. So I said a lot, but, and a lot of it is bias on my side, because where I, even though I grew up in app development, most of my focus now is on things like SRE and, you know, the operation side of it because that's where I see a lot of the challenges today.
2: And a lot of this stuff, uh, you know, we're talking about automation, it, it such as microservices and, and container management with, you know, as you say, hundreds of thousands of microservices, cloud adoption is not an option. It's a necessity, right? So you, you yeah. it's not something you can you can really realistically do in-house and so so increasingly cloud adoption in terms of hosting this stuff on a public cloud provider is a necessity which of course leads to the value-added services of the uh, ai ops or uh, to, to manage those services and so uh, you know it's sort of it's going hand in hand i think this this uh, orchestration and management of uh, microservices and, and and DevOps, as well as the uh, services to manage those. Would you agree?
1: I, I would agree. And, and one area I like to talk about is containers, right? So, um, you know, Kubernetes is now the orchestration engine of choice, but people want to roll their own Kubernetes, right? And the cloud service providers have kind of – it's not called this, but they basically have Kubernetes as a service, right? And the amount of energy people spend to be cloud agnostic is quite incredible. And, and you have to kind of ask the question at some point, what does what portability really mean? right? So people work so hard to be cloud agnostic, they don't get any value out of the cloud because the cloud is just compute network and storage. So I, can't, I don't know if I, I probably didn't answer your question, but anytime we start talking about capabilities of cloud, I, I think the ability to offload plumbing and it 's not just infrastructure it 's at that middleware layer it 's even at the business layer it is where the value is so like ai ops and ml i you know I worked at a loyalty marketing company many years ago. we had you know petabody data before anyone had a petabyte of data, and we used to extract huge amounts of data and throw it into a sas data set and then these they weren 't called data scientists, but these sas geniuses would do all this. Analysis, and and they would come up with hypotheses of things that they know. And, you know, six months later, we would have a new way to target employees or or not employees, shoppers, or we would have new ways to do analysis post shopping trip. Today, you could do it. It's an API, right? Or there's a model you can go get. You know, I had a team that provided all the next buy type analysis right if you're going to shop i think this is the next thing you're going to buy therefore we're going to put this coupon come out when you shop in you go to amazon or google there's an api for that your purchase history says this you should get you know so i had a team of eight nine people and tons of servers and and now it's an api call right so the value of the cloud is there if you just go
2: get it so when we're talking about outwardly like you're consuming uh services like for machine learning and AI, which again, I think you're largely forced to with the investments being made by uh, public cloud providers in, in those sort of spaces to leverage the service APIs they're creating. And you talked about saving six months of you know, engineering effort by using an API, but it also works in an inward fashion as well, right? So as I'm building applications and services, uh, building out my databases and exposing them to teams throughout my organization i also want to take the same approach don't i so you know the, the, absolutely. in terms of uh, exposing everything as APIs, so that people can consume my services the same get extract the value out of it just the same way as you'd be consuming that uh, machine learning service at a public cloud provider
1: absolutely and i'm starting to see industries think that way so i was just talking to a cto of a financial institution and they're doing a lot they're trying to automate the process of the data science like right now data scientists have to download stuff to hard They have all this work to do which is non-data scientist work to get to you know the models are created and they're trying to automate that but at the same time they're trying to create an environment where other companies can share models and it's the same thing with your code if you're delivering a service that has a valuable data set not only may it have value to provide that as an api within your company but there may be a Opportunities to monetize that and offer it outside of your company, or not monetize it but offer it to a community who's also offering APIs back to you. So, you know, we we've heard about the API economy for a long time. You know, it comes from vendors trying to management tools, but I, I think it's starting to get here, right? I think, you know, the companies that have been in the cloud for four or five, six years who've gotten pretty good at this, they're they're starting to move up that stack, and and they're not thinking about infrastructure anymore they're thinking about data right Mm -hmm. and they're thinking about how can we not write code you know how can i get the market faster with writing the least amount of code possible and traditionally we just love to write millions of lines of code but then every line of code you write you maintain
2: i'm very tempted to start talking about low code application development but i think that's a whole different podcast Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah look uh mike it's been a great talk thank you very much for your time how how can uh, people learn more about you and your upcoming book
1: sure so uh, i'm on twitter mad greek 65 not mad geek mad greek 65 <laughs> um and my my daughter i'll tell you a quick quick story My my daughter's a marketing major right and she built my website in a day and she doesn't know what a server is right so Talk about abstraction, right? She's using platforms, and she's has is talented at content. And so, if you go to mikekavis.com, K-A-V is a Victor I-S. There's a website has both my books, has a bunch of blogs, has my podcast. She created that in a day, and she doesn't even know. One time we were talking servers, she goes, "What's a server?" Right? Well, she doesn't have to know what's a server, and that and we should think about that as we're building these things, right? I can do IoT without knowing too much about IoT. I just consume APIs. But anyways, that's a long goodbye. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, that's it. Thank you very much, Mike, for being here with us. To our listeners, what did you think about this podcast? Have you ever experienced migrating to the cloud? Do you have any cloud success or cloud horror stories that you would like to share? Let us know in the comments or from whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Also, please visit our website at www.torocloud.com for our blogs and our products. We're also on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Talk to us there, we'll listen. Just look for Toro Cloud. Again, thank you, thank you very much for listening to us today. This has been Mike Cavis, David Brown, and Kevin Montabo at your service for coding over cocktails.